So we're back for another interview, and uh, this is a real treat once again for me. I'm joined by uh, two fabulous big band swing jazz drummers, one for the UK and one from the US. First of all, I've got my friend, Mr. Pete Cater, wonderful Hello. UK big band drummer. He's going to be helping Hello. questions. Thanks for doing this, Pete. I appreciate your time. Pleasure. And all the way from the US, uh, we have Mr. Duffy Jackson. Thank you for joining us, Duffy. It's my pleasure, Maddie. Thank you for bringing Pete and I together, and it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. Well, hey, likewise. Thank you. Appreciate your time. So um, let's get cracking. Pete, have you got a question for Duffy? Yeah, let's, let, let's, let's, just, let's just get right down to it right away. Duffy, well, I was young. I needed the money. It was... Uh, <laughs> so we'll, 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 we'll get round to Lola Falana in a moment. But Oh, my goodness. I just saw her last night. Oh, no on, way. On a movie. Remember a man called Adam Sammy Davis Jr.? Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah where yeah, he yeah. played a jazz trumpet player. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, Lola was into it. Uh, she was in looking beautiful in it. You know, I played her act with Sammy Davis. I was Sammy's drummer, uh, 70 Throw. Four through seventy six, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, uh, I backed up uh, Lola on a bunch of gigs. Man, she was very sweet and kind. Yeah, I, you know, you know, I, I remember that from the very first time that we met, which was actually in Anaheim at a jazz educators convention in nineteen eighty six. Oh my goodness gracious! Huh? And that was the first I time I heard you play live with in a trio with uh, Harold Banco and Todd Coleman. At the yeah, Marriott Hotel, right by where the Nam Show goes on. We we were the uh, the rhythm section that backed up everybody for four years in a row. Yes, you were. And uh, I tried to call Harold the other day. Uh, I think he's retired from teaching at in Rochester. So somewhere here, I think I have a picture of us from that time. Just, uh, <laughs> just, 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 take your time, Pete. Uh, Let's talk amongst ourselves. I, I have to watch golf on TV in a couple of Look at this. This, this, is, oh, this yeah. is you and me in Anaheim in 1986. <laughs> I think I still have that sweater. I, I don't know. No, I don't, I don't have the shirt anymore. That's the first time we Man, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I had a ball playing at those conventions. Um, you know, um, uh, a lot of schools invited me to uh, come and play with their students from there. So uh, it, it was it was a great time for music education in America. It really, it really, it really was. And, uh, I was very, I was very sorry when all that kind of fell away a few years ago. And, and, and you know, like, like so many of these things, it kind of had its time. And, uh, and 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 things move on. So, all right, let's 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 get right to it. Let's talk about Count Basie. Let's talk about Lionel Hampton. I, I need to say something uh, because our timing is still perfect. Uh, uh, Forty-one years ago, today, uh -huh. I joined the Basie band. <laughs> Yo, T today, August twelfth of seventy-nine. <laughs> well, well, you follow so, you follow, uh, you follow Butch Miles into that gig. Am I right? Yes. 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 Yeah. You know, that, was and, the, that was the first time I heard about you. You know what? Uh, I was able to see and hear Butch with the Basie Band at the Grosner House for two weeks uh, with, uh, with Lena Horn. Right. And uh, I uh, I was playing uh, with George Ween and and the Newport All Stars uh, at Alexandria Palace 
in the daytime doing concerts. Yeah, and then I yeah. had the nighttimes free, so I went and hung out with the Basie Band every night. Hey, and why wouldn't I was you? able to. Well, I was able to not only you know enjoy the band, but just to see and hear how Butch was uh, playing and and propelling the band. And I wanted to make the smoothest transition rhythmically and groove-wise uh, because, uh, you know, there's certain adjustments that have to be made when a new drummer comes in. Of course, yeah. And, and yeah, Butch yeah. was there for five years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, he called me up and he said, uh, hey, this Butch, you know, uh, are you interested in the gig? And I thought I was being pranked or punked or something like that. So he said, oh, man, the bass is going to call you in five minutes. So the phone rings and it's Basie, and he says, "Hey, this is the chief. Uh, you want to come on the band? Are you ready?" <laughs> and I said, "Who is this? Hey, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure it was Basie at, at first, but then I realized that it, it was the real deal. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, he uh, Butch gave me seven months to prepare uh, to go on the band. So right. I made fifty cassette tapes filled with every song the Basie band ever recorded." So I kind of knew uh, the nuances and the feeling that Gus Johnson and Shadow sure. Wilson and Sonny Payne mm -hmm. uh, put into the band. And you know what? I've become a big fan of Harold Jones. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, the band. I, 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 I hear a very clear lineage in the way you interpreted the Basie repertoire, the way that Harold did. I mean, it's a very, you know, very close connection. Does, ha does the Harold band play just, for Tony Bennett at the moment? Is Harold? Yes, he's been yeah, with them yeah. for years now. You yeah, know, yeah. he's a very musical drummer. Mm. Uh, he has multiple symbols to be able to take you on different, uh, you know, journeys. You know, because every symbol creates a certain atmosphere. You know, and uh, I've been symbol-minded for years, uh, many years anyway. But uh, I, I was never a real fan of the uh of the one simple time uh, approach you know now now unless it was buddy you know uh, uh he could make that symbol sound different you know mm -hmm. uh, but uh i i like a different symbol for every soloist you know and uh yeah but... since moving to nashville too i've been playing a lot of brushes before the pandemic uh, I, yeah, I was, uh yeah. I, I was, I was, I was going to ask you about this stuff because, because I, you know, I, I only because the, the last phone number I have from from, uh, from you for, from probably twenty years ago was it was somewhere in Florida. I think it was in Miami. Yes, my wife and I. So, uh, so what, what, took you, what took you to Nashville? Well, uh, I, I would say Hurricane uh, Katrina. And yeah. Okay. Like that. That would. That would. Uh, that, that would explain you know, a great uh, deal. Yeah. We had four very intense storms within like two months. Right. And uh, we had four little uh, kitty cats that we couldn't take to the shelter. Oh. So we rode out those storms and it was frightening. It really was. Yeah. And uh, uh, a friend of mine who was a fan uh, invited my wife and I to come up uh, to Tennessee and just check out the scene, which mm -hmm. we did. We had a wonderful time. Right. Uh, so uh, I went back to Florida the scene was kind of drying up in Florida. Uh, I was doing a lot of uh, teaching in schools and everything. And yeah. all of a sudden it became, um, you know, an issue of security uh, to be welcomed down to a campus, you know. So uh, uh, a lot yeah, of that yeah. uh, came to a standstill, you know. Right. Um, you know, I, I built myself as the Johnny Appleseed of jazz as far as the young drummers and just planting seeds of love and happiness into their hearts. And, 
a lot of great drummers that I'm fans of have come up to me and said, hey, Mr. Jackson, you gave me a pair of sticks 30 years ago. And I said, give them back. You know, actually, <laughs> anyway. you know I mean, uh, I, I, I've had such a fantasy dream world with, with swinging uh, uh, since I've been a little baby. And of course you have. I just, I just turned 67 July 3rd, and I started in 1957. Wow. Don Lamond, uh, the great yeah. drummer, uh, uh, came to our home in Chicago. He was recording a big band uh, album with my dad. And what, al what album was that? It was the Chubby's Back album. Okay. Uh -huh. where, where my dad had his back to the, to the camera. Right, and yeah, yeah. Chubby's yeah. Back, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Uh, Tiny Khan, the great drummer, uh, wrote a lot of the arrangements oh, look. for that session. Tiny Khan, you know, so. you know th this is why we're here. This is why we brought you here this evening because you well, know about you. drummers like Tiny Khan. You know about you know my, you know about Don Lamont, and I feel very strongly that these great names are slowly disappearing from our history, and we need to do everything we can to. You know, the, the, the young musicians coming up today know about this lineage, know, understand this history, and know about, you know, you mentioned Shadow Wilson a while ago. I mean, you know, the break on Queer Street. What is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, you know, Buddy said that was the greatest drum break of all time. Indeed you know, you know. Plus, Buddy said that Don Lamont was one of the greatest big band drummers of all time. You know, and uh, well, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, particularly that that uh, that Woody, those Woody sides that were recorded, I think, just before Christmas 1948 with the second herd. Yeah. Uh, gave us Keen and Peachy and Four Brothers. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, I mean, Keen and there, there was a tune called uh, uh, That's uh, Right. right. Uh -huh. It was a very fast up tempo blues. And, and my dad's bumping, man. My, my dad's really. And bumping, Lemon man. Drop with Terry Gibbs. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was there was a movie in uh, 2008 called Revolutionary Road with uh, yeah, Leonardo I, I, DiCaprio. I, 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 I and know the movie, but Kate Winslet. It, it wasn't really a great movie, but I I played the uh, the leader in the nightclub scene, and I scattered okay. Lemon Drop. <laughs> I scattered Lemon Drop in the movie, you know, and uh, fantastic. And uh, you know, the main thing right now is that people need to to listen to time. They, they, they need to learn what to leave alone rhythmically to, to let the group breathe a little bit and develop yeah. a certain human chemistry amongst the musicians. The drummer shouldn't have to propel the band alone. You know, everybody should be part of the rhythm section. Exactly. Time, uh, you yeah, know. Completely agree. Time is a collective responsibility. Now, playing with dynamics, too, is very uh, uh, respectful to the music. I can play triple pianissimo with brushes and swing very hard. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's a formula. You know you can. Well, you know, I mean, uh, the, uh, the main thing is that when you pick up a stick, uh, you have to earn your right to accompany the artistry of somebody who really can play, you know? Yeah. Amen, to, I, that. I, Amen to that. And do you know what I love? I, I, you know, I've learned so much about you know, when, when we're when we're young, hot-headed, hard-swinging, big-band drummers. We all play too loud. We all play too loud. You and know what? Uh, if, if, if you couldn't hear Freddie Green uh, playing acoustic guitar, you were playing too loud. 
Well, you, 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 you're way ahead of me because I wanted to ask you about like, being at a rhythm section with Freddie Green. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah, uh, one time he turned around to me and he said, give each beat its full value of time. Yeah, yeah. I said, Freddie, uh, you never talked to me so much before. We have to get together and hang out, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for, uh, for, uh, Freddie gave me the biggest hug when I left uh, the band. Now, I don't know if it was because I was leaving the band. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I had a ball. You know, he was famous for not really liking younger people or, you know, okay. whatever. Uh, you had to earn uh, his friendship, you know? Mm, yeah. I think, I th I think that, that, that was kind of a way, that generation, that they were kind of like that, weren't they? they were seeing, you, know, you, you would, I can remember some of the, when, when I first got to London, some of the, the big, heavy, studio musicians around london they you know they kind of they kind of look at you a bit there's been a skunk eye for a while and then after you've played maybe half a dozen or 10 gigs or sessions with them they'd start to accept you but it was a very gradual thing you had you had to earn your stripes and you know, drummers you have to drummers have to earn the trust of the other musicians yeah if if you can uh lay down a groove where the musicians come to you and say, hey, man, thanks for giving me the groove I needed to tell my story. Then Sorry. you know you, you're taking care of business. Yeah. Then okay. th th they give you the freedom to kind of express yourself a little bit more, you know, but you have to earn that right. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> I love to play with, with, with great drummers, you know, because uh, I play, I had my father's bass from 1947, okay. oh, wow. uh, the five-string K bass. Uh -huh. here's, here's a picture of my dad. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, we that's a weird band. Loud and clear, yeah. loud and clear. That's chubby, right? There there. He is. Well, we were the only father and son bass and drum team in the hi history of the American swing for 45 yeah. years, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, now I, was, I was taught by a bass player and a, and a drummer, Don Lamont, but also... Uh, did you ever hear of Steve Kondos? He yes. was a great jazz yeah. tab dancer. Yeah, he, 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 could, was, he, was, he, was, he was good friends with Buddy, wasn't he? Yes, he, mm -hmm. he could tab dance anything Buddy could play. You right. know, and he was, well, that's, he was that's one of those guys. Good. That's pretty so good. So I, I learned rhythms and accents from a tab dancer and pulse and groove from a bass player mm -hmm. and then technically had to play time from Don Lamont. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, inadvertently, there, 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 there's your music college right there. Yeah, man. Grounded. Now, in, inadvertently, um, I was taught by Davey Tuff, too, through my dad. Of course you were. Of course you were. And, then, you know, I, I want to. one of the last times I saw you was at Pizza Express in Dean Street in London. And you had, oh, like, yeah. a Dave Tuff button badge on your suit. Oh, yeah, man. With, like a little snare you know, drum. You know, uh, there was a, a, a night. After the gig, my father and Davey would be the last one packing up after the gig. And Davey Tuff went into an epileptic seizure. Oh, wow. My father picked him up and carried him on his shoulders three blocks to a hospital. And the next night, they were on the bandstand playing like nothing happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, uh, that was their dedication. They couldn't wait to get to the bandstand every night to play. Yeah. You know. And uh, this is this is what we're all about this evening. We're about this glorious, genuine history uh, of, of what it is really all about. And you know, 
I hope all the young drummers who tune into this, who look at it down the line, will start to think about how to play the hi-hat cymbal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And come on. There is so much beauty in a pair of hi-hats. You can play brushes on a hi-hat and make a beautiful sound. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. But just you know, getting, uh, get, getting the, the, you know, the, the, there's, there's more than an octave. There's two octaves out of a pair of hi-hat cymbals if you just know yeah. how to control them. And, and you know, this is, this is what we have. We have a duty. I, I know we're all getting up in years a little bit. We're not the young men, uh, the young Turks that we once were. But we have a duty to pass this on. Uh, you know, by letting younger people know that there's an alternative to what they have been force-fed, you know, uh, musically. Yeah. You know, I mean, pop music's great. I'm a fan of a whole bunch of styles of music. I don't feel like learning to play because I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a poor imitator of anybody but myself. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. hey, Steve Gadd is a genius to me, and all these great drummers that can play. Uh, I'm fascinated with all the young little uh, lady Japanese drummers that can play 10,000 beats a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that? I, I want to know who's teaching them how to play that way. <laughs> you know, uh, they all have like 25 tom toms and 12 cymbals. And if mm. you drop a stick, you're going to hit something, you know. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what, uh, Pete, I need to ask you a very serious question. Um, I need to know what a fripplet is. Uh, do you have any idea what a fripplet is? A what? A fripplet. Can you spell that for me, please? No, no. It's very difficult. No, I, I asked I ask young drummers, I said, hey, man, can you tell me what a fripplet is? They said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either. That's why I'm asking. You know, but it's, it's a little play on words, you know, that, uh, but, uh, you know, the most important thing, figure out, rhythmically how you can stimulate the forward momentum of the groove locking it in with the bass player where you feel one you know my dad and i developed a concept called the universal groove where everybody feels one at, at the same time you know yeah. now uh we we have to embrace uh the triplets with love you know uh, we have to try to scat sing certain drum licks you know People say, hey, man, uh, how did you learn to play drum solos? And I said, I used to listen rhythmically to what Diz and Bird exactly. was playing. Exactly. You know, Completely uh, drummers, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost afraid to hang out with drummers. You know, they're very unique, strange people. You know, I'm not trying to say that, that, that you guys aren't, but I mean, you know. Uh, I, I tend to hang with piano players and uh you know, horn players, whatever, because I'm trying to learn harmonically uh, what I'm doing to be able to accompany uh, the artistry of the musicians better. Of course. You know, you know so, uh, uh, but the, the main thing, man, uh, when you think of my father and myself, you know, it's about putting a grin on the groove and naming the beat at your feet. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's all it is, man. Absolutely. You know, you know, I don't mean to uh, to take over the conversation, but I, I just uh, do. my wife says I should let you we, ask. We, 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 were we were rather hoping that you would. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, having 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 known you this many years, reticence is not a word that I tend to associate with you. <laughs> 
You know, uh, I'd like to relate a story. I was five years old and I was in my tuxedo and I was on my dad's TV show. Uh, my dad was in television in New York and Chicago as yeah. the host of the Little Little Rascals show. Remember mm -hmm. Spanking Alfalfa and yeah. the Little Rascals? They mm -hmm. made some yeah. movies in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, my dad was the host of that show where he would have like three string bases with faces on them and have little kids performing. And so anyway, um, this, uh, this older gentleman is telling me, play the Tom Toms, do this, do this, do this. I said, Hey, I'm five years old. You know, I know what I'm doing. It was Gene Krupa trying to give me a drum lesson <laughs> on live television. I didn't do one thing he, sh he showed me and it was like a comedy skit or whatever, you know, uh, but that was the great, Ace drummer man Gene Krupa does, trying does, to does, teach does, me does how to play. Does any of that stuff, footage still exist? Is that on YouTube? No, no. It, it, it was local New York television, and, and they didn't really like, just all went all went live. No, no videotapes, no kinescopes or anything like that. Yeah, what a, man. What a shame. But the main thing is that I've had a fantasy dream world as a little baby. You know, uh, uh, my dad when he was in Chicago, I'm like four years old, and Count Basie and all the great musicians would come over to his penthouse apartment because he had a basketball court on the roof. Oh. <laughs> and could you picture the basic band shooting baskets at yeah, 4 o'clock in the morning? Okay. So, I mean, uh, that's how I came up. My dad used to wake me up uh, to scat sing and play brushes and play on the brushes chair. on a newspaper, right. Yeah. yeah, right, right. I actually did a radio show in New York City with Joe Bushkin. Remember him, uh -huh. the pianist? Yeah, um, Joe Bushkin. From the and I, I played, I, I played the New York Times with brushes. Right. You know, for the radio show. <laughs> oh man, uh, it was the sports section. I think I, I forget. You know, anyway. <laughs> but uh, how, how how old were you when you kind of thought, yeah, this is this is for me. This is what I'm going to do. This was, were you uh, at, at five five years old? You know, uh, um, I, I had my fifth, sixth, and seventh and eighth birthdays on live television in New York City. And there was a picture taken of my dad and I playing. And it, it said, uh, Duff Jazz Jackson uh, wants to go on the road with the Count Basie band. I'm like five years old. But I knew at five years old, I wanted to go on the Basie band. <laughs> you know, uh, When I was 12 years old, I went to see the Basie band. Sonny Payne was playing with the band in New York. And it was uh, a dance gig and it was the last set of the night. And uh, there weren't really a lot of people there. Now, the thing is, uh, Sonny Payne was the drummer, but he had to go to California uh, to take care of a family uh, business. And Don Lamont filled in for two weeks at this engagement. Okay. Oh, what so, a uh, that. Yeah, man. Oh, Don sounded great with the band, man, really. And um, so anyway, Don goes to Basie and said, hey, uh, why don't you let uh, Duffy uh, play a tune? So I got up there at midnight and I hit shiny stockings with the big band. <laughs> now I didn't, I didn't know the arrangement, you know, uh, although I was playing time, you know, and sweets was on the band, Lockjaw, uh, all the guys were on the band and they all stretched down and took solos and people are dancing and grooving. And then when it came time for that soft ensemble and then when the band was supposed to come in with the drum, da, 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 you know, everybody stopped playing. So I stopped playing too. <laughs> now Basie said, play boy. And I went, blah, 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 crash bang. And I got through the arrangement. 
Now, he wouldn't let me sit in with the band for seven years after that. <laughs> and, and the first tune that I played with the band was Shiny Stockings. And when it got to that point where it was the drum thing, he looked at me and gave me that look, are you ready? You know, and I knew the arrangement by then. You know? he made so up for it. He, he, he kept me up there for the rest of the night. I played like 10 more tunes, you know. Basie was very loving and kind to me. Uh, he gave me a golden opportunity. I was the youngest drummer to join his band at 26 years old in 1979. Uh, physically trying to, tr uh, to stay on the band and uh, pack up uh, the drums every night and move the luggage, that physically became a hardship uh, because unfortunately uh, I've had some surgeries in my life on my hips and everything. And uh, being my own roadie was not part of uh, uh, the deal really, you know, so uh, mm -hmm. it was hard for me. I, I stayed a full year. Then I came back, uh, you know, when uh, Thad Jones took over the band after Basie passed in 1985. I came back after hip surgery and I lasted around six months. I couldn't back up the drums. Mm. I had help, but, uh, you know, playing, I was okay. I was getting stronger, you know. But then I came back in 89 when Frank Foster was leading the band and I stayed 18 months. And that, that was really a, a very successful time for me with the band. And, right. you know, you know, I, I had a ball in the band. Um, playing with Cleveland Eaton on the bass. Uh, now, July 5th, Cleveland uh, had to join Basie up in, in heaven. And, yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah. You know, when, when Basie needed a bass player, you know, Cleve was ready. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I talked to, to his wife, and uh, I said, hey, uh, the chief needed Cleve, you know, and Cleve was ready to go. And, yeah. You know. But uh, I had a ball playing with Cleve. Uh, when I joined the band in 79, John Clayton of was course, the bassist. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, we had a ball playing together, you know. Hey, I have an interesting story to tell you. Uh, I used to play with Monty Alexander. Mm -hmm. I played Ronnie Scott's, a whole bunch of gigs, you know, with Monty through the years. And uh, I got the call the other day that uh, a record label uh, from California uh, Renaissance, what is it? Resonance. Resonance Records mm -hmm. in uh, uh, Los Angeles. They're putting out a CD of Monty live from a jazz club in Florida in 1982 uh, when I played with him. And Monty is playing some of the greatest piano I've ever heard him play. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very appreciative that I was on that gig. So uh, uh, I think in October, there'll be a brand new Monty Alexander uh, CD that I'm on with him. Oh, let me, and, uh, let, me let me just go and advance all of that on Amazon right now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be called uh, I Love You Madly. Okay, all right. That's the name of the CD. Right. You know, gonna be, Monty gonna be took me right out of high school. Um, uh, I graduated in my principal's office in Miami Beach High School in uh, June of 71. And my dad put me on an airplane in Miami and Ray Brown met me at the uh, Los Angeles airport. And two days later, I was playing with Mill Jackson and Monty and Ray Brown and Teddy Edwards at the Shelly Mann's Manhole yeah, in yeah. Uh, Hollywood, California. And that was my graduation present from high school. <laughs> three weeks, 
three weeks with those guys. I mean, yeah. I had such a ball. Yeah, I did everything bet, Ray bet, Brown bet, told me. I bet you learned more in those three weeks than you learned in the whole time in high school. The one thing my dad told me uh, before I got on the plane, he said, keep your mouth shut and play your ass off. Yeah. <laughs> Always good advice. You never go wrong. Uh, the first part uh, didn't click in right away, but I was, <laughs> I, I, I was excited. You know what I mean? You know, so. But uh, um, <laughs> when I was 18, Louis Belson made it possible for me to join Lena Horn. Mm-hmm. I was one Lena's drummer. Singers, I might add, one of my favorite singers. So I was uh, going to ask you about Lena Horn. You know, uh, Lena and my father were part of Charlie Barnett's orchestra in the early 40s. They actually, actually had a little flame for a while. Mm-hmm. So when I became Lena's drummer, just on Louis's recommendation, she had never heard me before. Uh, she treated me like I was a son, you know. And uh, Alan King, the comedian, uh, he told Lena, you have to get on stage and sing your heart out because uh, her husband, Lenny Hayden, who was her conductor for like 45 years, and her father and her son, uh, they all passed in a very short period of time. And Lena was, um, you know, definitely needing to get back on the stage and sing her heart out. And I was her first drummer uh, to do that with her, you know, so, you know, so then... Uh, you when know, was playing with Lionel Hampton. Hampton. When uh-huh. was Lena Horne, sorry? When was Lena Horne? When were you playing with her? That was 1972. Right, okay. Yeah. And um, then, then after that, uh, you know, my father and I actually played... Uh, do you remember a lady a singer, actress by the name of uh, Edie Adams? Yeah. She was married to Ernie Kovacs, a comedian mm-hmm. in America. But uh, uh, my dad and I went on the road uh, with her for eight months. Uh, because her husband uh, was Pete Condoli, uh, the great lead trumpet player that Woody Herman first heard. And the thrill that I received playing with the lead trumpet player and bass player of Woody's first heard, uh, really, it was magical. You know, I got chills playing with them because, uh, you know, when, when the drummer and the lead trumpet player have the same concept of time, then Perfect. everything kind of falls into the pocket. and. Uh, there's nothing more exciting than having a lead trumpet player. Like I, I played with John Fattis on lead, uh, Dave Stahl, uh, some of the greatest lead trumpet players of all time, Paul Cohen, you know, and these guys really knew how to propel a band. And as long as the drummer and the trumpet player were on the same page groove wise, then the band would swing, you know? So, you know, your band is as good as your drummer. I truly believe this. You could have the greatest charts, the greatest musicians, and if the drummer is not taking care of business, uh, you have a mediocre band. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's the responsibility of the drummer to to just make make sure that the leader, like, like every job I would do as a sideman, uh, when the leader would walk in, I would have the drums all set up and I'd be ready to play. So, so uh, that worry uh, was taken away so the leader could relax so uh, I was gaining trust of the leader to give me freedom to express myself by being as professional as I can be you know and I, I've grown out of a lot of bad habits as a young person you know and I made a lot of my success playing with a lot of great black musicians too you know that's a different perspective 
because a lot of people have said that uh, you have to have a black drummer to play jazz. And uh, uh, the groove doesn't see a color line with me. You know, if, if, no. if you're taking care of business, do you remember Stan Levy, the great left-handed drummer? Right, played right, with Bird. Right. He swung so hard it was ridiculous. And well, Bird that's, and Diz that's, that's, loved him. That's why Bird wanted him in his band. That's right. <laughs> right here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> he had a very successful business of taking pictures at weddings yeah. in California. You know what? I was playing uh, like a wedding reception. Art Pepper was on saxophone. I mean, it was an all-star band, and we're playing like Tie Your Yellow Ribbon and Feelings. and I couldn't believe we were playing these tunes. But anyway, Stan Levy comes up, and I said, man, I'll turn the drums around. Would you please just play one song? I'd love it. And man, I turned the drums around, and Stan Levy hit a blues, and the people started dancing and grooving. I never forgot that. He could still swing yeah. from the first beat. But I, I, I think you, 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 you kind of touch on something important there. You say you're playing a wedding reception in, in California, and you know, Art Pepper is on the gig. And uh, I think a lot of young musicians don't realize that there is this reality uh, where, you, you know, where we're not playing the Montreux Festival, or we're not playing the Carnegie Hall, or we're not playing the Hollywood Bowl, and we're doing all this other stuff in between that we have to do with professionalism and a good grace to support ourselves as professional musicians. And I think this is something that it's a reality that is not spoken about sufficiently. Years ago, as a professional drummer, you had to play all styles. You had to know how to play Latin, you know. I mean, I know certain jazz drummers that would get on a, on a wedding and they'd have to play uh, like a merengue or something and they wouldn't know how to do it. Yeah. Now, now there are specialists that are really great at one thing today, but years ago you had to know how to play all different styles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's like if you go on a club date, a horn player has to know five hundred songs. Yeah, and you just put your piano and say, okay, a G, yes, a G. yeah, right, yeah, right. F, B flat. You know, there's something about spontaneously creating uh, music. If everybody knows uh, the tune and the form, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the, uh, it's an art to be able to to just uh, create something spontaneously. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, 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 again, it's another one of these art forms that I think we're slightly losing a connection with. I don't, I don't think the young musicians today are, are maybe coming up with a, perhaps the most fully formed understanding of, of how that actually works, where somebody just, you know, as I said a moment ago, they just, you know, they just give you a key signature. Yeah. You know, uh, when you're at a certain level of understanding and you play with uh, a lot of the same musicians all the time, uh, just eye contact is is uh, all that you really need, sure. you know, at times. You know, hey, uh, one time Freddie Green turned around and gave me a look like, hey, what song are you playing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, looks can be very powerful, especially you know if they're meant in a certain way. You know, but, yes. you know. Hey, I, as I said, I've had a fantasy dream life. Now it's a fantasy to play uh, with the pandemic. Well, isn't it? Uh, really? I, yeah. have, I have to be very truthful. 
I practice piano and bass every day, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I'm trying to keep my mind into uh, harmony and, and melodic content and everything. But you know what? Friday the 13th of March was the last time I picked up a stick. Right. Right. Now I've been playing 63 years, you know, uh, I think I've heard enough of myself, but the thing <laughs> is, uh, I still have a desire to want to create and accompany the artistry of soloists that, that have something meaningful to say musically, right. you know, I'll, I'll always have that childlike spirit that Dizzy had, mm -hmm. you know, Dizzy could get on a bandstand and have energy like he was still in his 20s, yeah. you know. Hey, I have to tell you a story. <laughs> um, Alexandria Palace, I forget what year it was, but Dizzy was playing with his group, and he had the great drummer Michael Carvin. Do you remember him? Yeah. Real tall drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, they finished their set, and the people wanted an encore, and Dizzy said, hey, Dovey, come on up here. Uh, they put up another set of drums for me, and Diz got on the congas. Oh, okay. and, and Michael Carvin and Diz and I played Caravan for like 25 minutes, man. We went nuts. Like, I've never played that way in my whole life. I've got, a, I got, I've, got a, I've got a feeling that was nice. Were you there with Lionel Hampton? I, I, I was playing in the All-Stars. Uh, my dad was actually... I, it could have been 78, 79, you know, because uh, uh, yeah, my dad actually did a tour with Hamp with all the older guys. Yeah, and I'll, he had I'll, Panama Francis on I'll, drums. Then. I'll have that written up somewhere in an old copy of Crescendo magazine somewhere. In my yeah, head. yeah. So anyway, I mean, you know, uh, Diz and Michael and I went nuts. And, and we're standing uh, off the side of the stage at the end. And Diz is blowing his shouts up, you know. And they're taking pictures with little kids and everything. And all of a sudden, a big Rastafarian guy comes up. Hey, Diz, I want your autograph. And Diz said, okay, man, I'll be right with you. This guy pulled out a knife um, uh, this big, uh, you know, and lunged towards Diz with the knife. Now, the kids are right there. Michael Carmen, he was like 6'4 or something. He wrestled this guy to the ground. And within two seconds, Diz had his knife out saying, come on, you want some of this? And I'm standing right there. I said, two seconds ago, we were playing and love and happiness and groove and laughing and everything. All of a sudden, like, uh, we're breaking up like a fight with knives. You know, I couldn't believe what was happening. But Diz was cool, man. But uh, he was no nonsense. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you challenged him, he was ready. He was ready to go. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I've, I have... Wonderful Dizzy stories, man. 1990, I did 70 concerts with the Basie Band with Billy Eckstein and Dizzy. And we had a ball on the band bus. The stories that these guys told, I wish I would have had my little cassette tape recorder, but I was kind of afraid to tape it, you know. But uh, I, I knew my place in the back of the Basie bus, I'll tell you that, you know. I, I could observe everybody, and it, it was a dream come true to be sitting on the Basie bus saying, I can't believe I'm actually here, you know? Basie gave me that golden opportunity, man, you know? You know? Okay. Uh, my wife says that I should let you guys talk occasionally. 
Well, I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to ask you, are you still married to Marina? Is it still the yes. same wife? Marina, Marina and I just uh, celebrated 20 years, June 16th. Fantastic. Congratulations. Let's say hello. No. Pete says hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, she, she's a little camera shy, you know. Yeah, she yeah, has to yeah. put clothes. She has to put clothes on first. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know I, I I barely have this shirt on for the interview. Right? Anyway, you know, there's another thing. Yeah. Duffy, can I ask? Do you um, do you have the same approach for 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 backing a vocalist as you would uh, driving a big band? You know, full of instrumentalists. Do you take the same approach? I I think you have to play with as much intensity as as you can at a softer volume. Because you can back off two or three different little pegs of intensity and still kick the band. You know, uh, Carmen Bradford was the vocalist with the Basie band when I was there. And she came up to me one time and said, hey, you know, my asthma is kind of acting up. Could you play a little less intensely behind me? And I, I understood that because, hey, when I was 18 with Lena, I could back up a 60 piece orchestra with strings with brushes and and you heard everything now that's that's a way for a drummer to mix his sound volume with the rest of the instruments to create that human chemistry you know so i as i say it's a formula to be able to play softly with feeling and swing hard you know you know uh try try just trying to play as soft as you can with brushes you know now, another thing, too, I, I'm a fan of playing uh, the bass drum on 4-4 with accents. Absolutely. Uh, when, when you play in a, in a jazz combo with, with the horns or something, uh, the horns will turn around and tell the drummer, don't play your bass drum on 4-4 because it sounds uh, a little, little old-fashioned. Just kind of punctuate and dash, dot and dash with, with the bass drum. Now... I'm a firm believer you got to lock in a groove with the bass player first. Yeah. You can't expect the bass player to hold down the time where you're kind of uh, floating on top of it. You have to lock in a certain intensity of time to the point where your uh, your accents to stimulate the forward momentum of the groove, you know, will be more meaningful. You know, uh, I tell drummers, learn what to leave alone as far as set up the phrase, like maybe with one, two, three, bada, bada, boom, and then just play time for four bars and then catch the last uh, two or three beats. But uh, it shows musical maturity if you don't try and catch every accent that's there on the paper, plus putting your extra accents in on, on top of that. It's too busy. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, when when the band comes up to me and said, hey, man, thank you for playing time uh, mm-hmm. through this section because there's a lot of uh, very, you know, interesting rhythmic uh, situations that they, you know, uh, uh, they can't have a drummer. You just reminded me of something. You told me years ago that there was a, a band leader in Florida, and I think he was a, a, a Basie alumnus, and he tipexed all the figures off the drum charts. Yes, yes. Uh, Paul Cohen, the great lead trumpet player. Right. You know, he would white out all the drum figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. <laughs> now, see, I knew the arrangements. Plus, he trusted me to play time for his band, and 
Yeah. You know, it, it was a it was a great pickup band. He rehearsed every Thursday for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he would have a whole bunch of different guys playing in the band. So, but he was the kind of guy that would, you know, kind of yell and scream at you for to play properly. And guys so, would walk sorry, out on his... Remind me, who, 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 who is that? What was his name? His name is Paul Cohen. Oh, okay. Yeah, the lead trumpet player. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. he played in the Basie Band when I first joined. The yeah, first three months. months. Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. He, he was the lead. See, the thing was, uh, Frank Sinatra dug Paul Cohen's lead playing. Yeah, Basie yeah. loved Paul Cohen. But you know what? The guys in the band didn't really like him as a, a person. Mm-hmm. But being that Basie loved him, that's he, he was paid a lot of money to play lead in the band. Right. Now, the thing is, if, if, if you're not friendly with the guys in the band, uh, you're not going to be there that long. No, no, no. See, that's the thing. Basie never fired anybody, as far as I remember, but the, vi- uh, the, the band members would vibe you off the band. Yeah, they just you let know. you know when it was time to go. Yeah, man, you know, and uh, I was never really treated that way. You know, uh, I, I was so happy to be there. I played with love in my heart every every night. Mm. I, I uh, my, uh, my dad really taught me that's the dedication. You know, he loved Woody so much, and I loved Basie so much, you know, and uh, they were our road daddies out there. <laughs> and my dad and I had a ball playing with them, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, Fats Waller told Basie, uh, who was originally a drummer, Fats said, hey, uh, Basie, uh, you better learn another instrument because you're not that good on the drums. <laughs> 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 so that's why Basie went to the piano. But the thing is, Basie loved drummers. He loved yeah, Buddy. Of course. He loved Buddy. You know. There were some great drummers that didn't last too long in the band that were really great drummers. But you know what? Uh, it's hard out there on the road. If, if you don't have uh, the whatever intestinal fortitude to do one-nighters, every night you have to be as great as you've ever been. You know? And uh, uh, that's not easy. You know? no, no, that's why the Basie Band was loved uh, so much, man. You know. Did it feel very different after Basie had passed? Did it? Did it feel a different band then? Or a lot yes, of uh, you know the term where they say it's a ghost band without mm. the the leader there. Uh, after Basie passed away, uh, Thad Jones was the first gentleman. Uh, actually, Eric Dixon fronted the band for around seven months before they decided to uh, hire Thad to lead the band, and. Uh, the Basie band didn't want a leader. They, uh, they didn't feel the necessity to be conducted playing uh, Corner Pocket. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, all I can say is that Thad came on the band. He didn't really know the tempos we were playing the tunes at. So he would count off some tempos that might have been a little brighter than they should be. And uh, the rhythm section would adjust the tempo to where they were capable of playing. Uh, I didn't know who to go with because when your leader counts off a tempo, you better try and hold that tempo mm-hmm. or you're going to have to either talk about it or there's going to be a fight or something's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it wasn't easy to be to not be black on that band. 
<laughs> it, it didn't help my situation, but uh, the main thing, I was taught by my father and, and a lot of the greats of music, and I wasn't going to be told that I didn't know what I was doing. Now, I either had to give up the gig. Now, first of all, in that band, uh, there couldn't be two white musicians in the rhythm section at the same time. That, that was a definite no-no. Uh, either you have a white drummer and, and a black bass player or a white bass player and a black drummer. Now, I was replaced by Dennis McCrell, one yeah. of the great drummers, great arrangers, a beautiful man. I love him and a great swinger. He was more modern in the uh, concept. Uh, it was closer to hearing Elvin in the Basie band than me, you know? So, uh, you know, please believe me, I, I'm a fan of every drummer that played in the band, but uh, it's hard for me to listen to other drummers uh, with the band, especially if they're not playing for the band the way that I used to. You know, uh, I don't mean to make an egotistical statement about it. It's just that I was taught to play a certain way. And when 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 you have non-drummers telling you how to play drums, uh, sometimes it gets a little difficult to, to please everybody. And after Basie passed, there were all uh, uh, chiefs and no Indians, if you know what mm, I mean. And yeah. uh, The way you said you played for the band rather than with the band. Different... You have to play. You have to play for the band you're traveling with, yeah. or or they'll 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 get very tired of you mm. quickly. Yeah, you you have to you have to know what the arranger or the composer had in mind when those charts were ori originally crafted, and yeah, play yeah. in the spirit of what you know Neil Hefty or Frank Foster or Sammy Nestico or Ernie Wilkins or whoever what they were thinking of in the era that those shots were written, whether the drummer was Sonny or Harold Jones or whoever, and you have to respect the music and play it the way, and this is why some of the, some of the kind of uh, latter-day revisions of certain areas of, of, the, of the historic big band repertoire don't always work for me because, you know, if the drummer doesn't understand the context in which that chart was originally composed or arranged, then you don't, you're not really going to have the right kind of musical empathy coming off the bandstand, I don't believe. You know, uh, that era, uh, there were a lot of non-conservatory trained musicians. Yeah. Like Sonny was one of the greatest big band drummers of mm. all time with Harry James and Basie, and he couldn't read the charts. Yeah. Now, he had, he had to learn the charts by, by ear, and, you know, that that takes an extraordinary mind to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I, do, you, do you know? I'm, I'm, uh, going going down the rabbit hole here for a moment. Uh, I many times I um, I uh, I listen to Sonny on the Atomic Mr. Basie, and you know you think about the way Sonny played, and you listen to him at Sinatra Sands, and compare his flamboyant style to say the least mm -hmm. with you know atomic and it's almost as like it's almost as like like neil hefty was directing the session and was kind of saying to sonny simple simple time 
No, no. And I, 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 do, you, I mean, do you know anything about that, that history? Though? Yeah, you know, the Basie Band, uh, they were famous for going right in the studio right away and trying to side-read the charts in the studio. Right. right. So uh, yeah, there, there is a, a concept of thought of playing the charts on the road uh, for a week or two. Oh, definitely. Just, to, you know, getting I, tied with it. Then go yeah. in and record. Yeah. So sure. Sonny uh, didn't really know the charts uh, mm -hmm. as well as he eventually did. Yeah. And, of course, you're a little more flamboyant uh, uh, with an audience. You know, well, that's also true. That's also true. That's yeah, a, you know, when you get in the studio, uh, uh, you know, people don't see you playing, you no. know, so uh, you, you could be very subdued and mm. uh, not be able to really get how you want to play over uh, because you're uh, afraid to overplay in the yeah. studio. And, and right? I've, I've, I've always felt that, that, you know, knowing Sonny's playing as well as I do. I've always got a very strong sense of that from Atomic. Whereas if you listen to an album like Chairman of the Board, where again, another studio date, he's flying, he's, he's, he's yeah. tearing it up. And I, I always kind of uh, assumed from that that those charts, when they were recording them, they'd been, you know, they'd been broken in on the road and he was just, you know, just so much more comfortable uh, where he was going with them. Not as often as you would hope to think. Right, okay. You know, uh, All right. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I recorded an album called Kansas City Shout. Yeah. With uh, the band uh, on Pablo, with Eddie Cleanhead it's, it's, Vincent. Up here, it's up here on the top shelf. <laughs> That's a good place for it, actually. You know, it sounds good up there. <laughs> but uh, uh, Joe Turner... <laughs> You know, uh, we show up for this session, 10 a.m., we're all there. Uh, Joe Turner shows up with, with like, a, a double six-pack of beer, mm -hmm. and he sits down, and uh, he was, like, drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know. He couldn't even say, have a day, I got to be, I mean, I don't even know what he was singing. And the thing is, he was supposed to bring in some big band arrangements for the session, and he didn't. And he got into a little bit of a, a confrontation with Basie and Norman Granz came in and said, okay, Joe, thanks very much. That's all we'll be needing of you. So he sang like only like two tunes on right. the session, I think. Uh, but then uh, Eddie Cleanhead brought in a bunch of charts and we ended up faking a couple of things. Um, but the thing is, uh, they're passing out all the music and there's no drum charts. Mm -hmm. So I, I go up to Basie and I say, hey, man, uh, what's happening? He said, just play what you feel. Play what you hear. Now, uh, that's either uh, the ultimate compliment that he was going to give me total freedom to just play, or he was challenging me to see if I was going to step all over, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, hey, I just laid down time. I stayed out of the way. I think there was one song at the end on the last chord. I went totally nuts. And I'm, bada boom, you know. And basically looked at me and I said, hey, man, I got to play something on this record day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I was playing with the Basie Band in Miami. It was the first time that I had come to Miami in 1979. And the night before that, uh, we were playing in Tulsa. And uh, we woke up, and Charlie Folks 
the great baritone saxophonist of the band, he was always dressed up, you know, suit and tie, even for bus rides, you know. that's uh, He wanted to be seen looking sharp going through airports and stuff, so he's always dressed. So he challenged me. Uh, he bet me $100 that he could lose 30 pounds before me. And we get on the band bus, and we have a four-hour ride uh, to Dallas to play a dance. And uh, he's usually the first one to wake up. Okay, guys, let's go. And you know what? He had a massive uh, heart attack on the bus and died on the bus. And three hours later, we're on the bandstand with some white guy in a brown suit playing baritone sax, reading the parts like he's been with the band forever. Basie was laughing with the people dancing up to the band. I was in shock. I couldn't believe we were playing even. Mm. But uh, uh, that, that was uh, the concept of the show must go on. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the next night we're, uh, we're, in, <laughs> we're in Miami and I go up to, to Basie. I said, man, I, I want to apologize uh, in advance, you know, because uh, I got all my, my fans and my friends in the audience, you know, blah, blah. So I'm taking my solo on Whirlybird, and everybody's yelling my name and everything. So Basie comes up to me and said, man, this ain't Miami. This is your Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I had a ball with Basie, man. I really did. I mean, I, I have an interesting story. Um, uh, um, I had played with the Basie band. Uh, uh, the band was in Boca Raton, Florida. And I had played a, a, a gig at the Boca Raton Hotel. And then after we were done, we went to the Grand Ballroom to hear the last set of the Basie Band playing a dance. And Sonny Payne, unfortunately, uh, was uh, a little bit too inebriated to play. <laughs> so Basie got me up there. I was 19. And I played the rest of the night. And two days later, I got a phone call. The band was up near Tampa, Florida, and Sonny's wife had passed away. And he needed to go to California for two days. And uh, so I got in my car. Now, let me preface, I was in Palm Beach. I lived in Miami, and my, my car was in the shop. So I was driving a rental car, paying mileage, you know, everything, gas and everything. So anyway, uh, I get in the car, and I start driving to Tampa, like, I have to play with the Basie Band in five hours. They didn't have a super highway or turnpike yet. So I'm driving up, like, Route 1 all the way to Tampa. Uh, but I got there a half hour before the gig, and Sonny said, I'll, uh, he'll play tonight, and I'll, I'll play the next two nights. So I, I relaxed that I didn't have to play. I sat in front of the Basie Band. I ate a gigantic steak with three shrimp cocktails and 12 coats. And I listened to Sonny play some of the greatest big band drums I'd ever heard in my life. Now, he was guzzling vodka on the bandstand in between tunes, which was a no-no. And he was barred from the band bus because of it. So here I am, Sonny Payne in my car, and I'm following the band bus back to the hotel. And Sonny is yelling and screaming and crying. and everything. Oh, It was very emotional. So anyway, I ended up playing Sonny's drums, his sticks and cymbals, you know, the next two nights. And uh, the first night was a concert. 
I, I knew all the tunes. We, it was a great night. Um, and then the next night was a dance, which I, I enjoyed playing dances with the band because we, we played a different repertoire. Uh, we played slower tempos. The people could relax. Basie was in a, in a funny, happy frame of mind, you know. So, uh, so after the gig, uh, Basie said, okay, man, thank you. You did great. You did great. How much do you want? So I said, well, hey, uh, uh, can, can you do a bill a night? Now, in 1973, $100 a night, that was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so he gave me $200. I, I thanked him, gave him a big hug and kiss. I drove back to Miami. I turned in the rental car, and with gas and mileage, it came to $197.12. <laughs> I gave him the $200, and I went and got a cheeseburger and went home. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sticking to that story, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> Sophie, I'd like, to, I'd like to ask one more thing, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, and your sense of, your, your swing is incredible. Um, timing, impeccable. Uh, your sense of enthusiasm when you play, it's just, it just draws you in. I, your musical taste is impeccable. It is, it is, it is. But really, I, how come, I respect you very highly. <laughs> How come? Why aren't you more widely recognized amongst drummers? This, this, this is a good and important question. What, why you, is, why you is know, it? My, main, my main thing is that uh, as a young age, I, I had such an amazing life playing with all the greats and everything. Now, I'm an older person now. I like my privacy. I kind of like being the best well-kept secret in the history of jazz. But I'm... <laughs> I, I wrote a tune called I'm Just a Son of a Bass Player, you know? <laughs> and that kind of tells you the story. I love bass players. I love playing time with bass players. You know, uh, <clears throat> Count Basie in, in Tokyo, uh, he said, hey, man, will you do me a favor? And I said, Chief, I'll do anything. And he said, please don't play bebop drums in my swing band. Mm. Now, you know what that means, right? Yes. In other words, don't get too slick with your fills yeah. and play more time for the band. And then if we like you, we'll, we'll, we'll let you stretch out a little bit later. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you got to take care of the store first. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right the here. most this important one. thing. That one. Who's that handsome guy? Hey. Man, man, man uh, uh, that one. drum set. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Thank you very much. Good records, man. Uh, and you know, yeah, another another great recording is the um, uh, Jazz in America House with Harry Allen, the King. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's you know, the, they had a bomb. They had a bomb explode in the restaurant that we had dinner in the night before that concert. Oh really? Yeah, I, 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 that was very interesting. The timing, you know. Mm. You know, I, ju I I just recorded something where I'm doing all the multiple tracks. I'm playing uh, drums and bass and piano and singing and, you know, whatever. And I, I call it Duffy Plays With Himself for Lovers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. I don't know, but yeah, anyway. Oh, <laughs> you know, the main thing is that you have to have a sense of humor. The joke's on you to play jazz in a world of transvestite <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, I, I don't know uh, exactly what the answers are, um, but the groove will bring 
people together with love and happiness. You know, I'm going to go on YouTube and just play time by myself and just <laughs> let people listen to it and say, hey, you can jam with me or you don't have to. But this is the groove I've been playing sure. since I've been a baby. And feel free to, to enjoy the feeling of it. You know what I mean? I'm not setting the world on fire. But, you know, we didn't even talk about Lionel Hampton and mm -hmm. Illinois Chiquette. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Pete, that, that, Pete that, do you have do you have that uh, that album called Jackets Got It on I, Atlantic? I, I, my the, the one I reference for you uh, for your playing all the time is the is the Japanese recordings with Live yeah. Hampton. Oh yeah, Live in Japan. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you know you can put a metronome on your time on that record in a way that you can't do with some of your predecessors and contemporaries. But there's no you know. The, the, the sense of swing is not in any way compromised by that incredible metric accuracy that you have on those sides. And you, know, you, know, you know, we could do a whole uh, interview about Lionel Hampton, you know, and also Illinois Jaquette, too. Well, how busy are you? Let's your line for some time. Yeah, let's uh, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. You know. Uh, uh, the main thing right now, I'm very appreciative that, that you would even think uh, to, to have me and you know uh, you, you guys can really uh, help many many drummers uh, to clap on one and three which I'm concerned about anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. yeah and, you know I, I, I tell everybody I'm a two and four dude in a one and three world yeah <laughs> yeah you know hey, I, I don't care how you latch on to the pulse as long as you latch on to something mm -hmm. you know what I mean uh, grab onto it and and let it just heal your soul, because the uh, the groove will set your soul free, right, Pete? Yeah, yeah hey, all, you know who long. called? Me, you know who called me the other day? Uh, Ralph Simons. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, he's living in France these days with his family. Well, yeah, and yeah he's, he's got a, he's got a place there, and uh, and you know there's nothing going on here, so uh, so man, yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, music City is totally dead right now. Uh, really? All the clubs are closed. Every, every place is closed. You know, I'm, I'm finding who I am uh, without drums in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm not as interesting or exciting a person as I thought oh, I was. I don't know about that. <laughs> Pete, it's hard to be humble when you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Well, listen, this has been a, a problem that I've suffered from for many years. Uh, and, but what, I, what, I, what I'm loving about this, the you know, the... The unintended consequence of the of the shutdown uh, and the downtime is that I, is that I'm practicing and, and I'm working on stuff things I've known were possible for 25 years. I've had the freedom to develop in this last little while. And people, than, people have begged me to practice, but uh, you know it's it's highly. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm really good at watching golf on TV. As I get older, you know. but. Uh, you know, anyway, you know, maintain your sense of humor about life. You have you know, to. I have a lot of compassion for people I don't know that are suffering. I can't believe one person has lost their life uh, to this uh, pandemic mm. as opposed to hundreds of thousands, you know, mm. possibly. But, uh, you know, just, uh, just uh, take a moment to, to have compassion for what all those people are going through right now. It's, it's very sad. Um, I'm very apologetic. Uh, to my American government right now. I, uh, I don't feel any political love 
for my country like I I should. But I, I'm a I'm I'm a member of the human race. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't see a, a color line. I hug everybody. Uh, well, I give everybody uh, elbows now, actually. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, man, you know, just keep that love in your heart for the groove and know that there are people that, that unfortunately can't express themselves on an instrument, you know, to let out some of their anxieties or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, listening to the groove, you know what? Hey, <laughs> Milt Buckner and Papa Joe, uh, go yeah. back to that for a minute yeah, and see right, the happiness right. uh, that they had playing together, just yeah. the two of them, man, you know. Yeah. Pete, it's great to see you again, man, after all these years. You, man. you too. It's been a Thank you for your friendship, man. Yeah. Hey, call me anytime. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to work the iPad here, but uh, my <laughs> wife does, so she'll set me up with it and everything. All right. Yeah. Well, this, is, this has been a great hour, Let's, uh, and and I am, I know people are really going to be very interested and, and are really going to enjoy your insights into you know this this unique uh, career for someone so young as you are to have. I I, I miss uh, I I miss Ronnie Scott's uh, uh, comedic uh, uh, ramblings in between songs. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you remember he used to talk about uh, genital clamps and things of that nature. <laughs> the, uh, the main thing is that, hey, uh, people love jazz and swing um, over in Great Britain. And I've been treated with a lot of love by, by people that really know what they love musically. And, you know, I, I hope uh, the dear Lord will permit me to come back over there and have some fish and chips with you sometime, you know? That would be a very good thing for not, not, not only for, 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 all, for all concerned. And I think the, uh, the listeners who haven't had the, uh, the great good fortune here in the UK to uh, experience your artistry live and in the flesh for probably about 20 years now, if I'm, if I'm right, uh, would benefit greatly to have that opportunity once again. Mm. I've I've been uh, exposing myself in public for many years actually. Yeah, yeah. The, last, the last time the last time the last time I Terrible saw you was it was I have to work on it. Uh, <laughs> I, I I had done a, a concert in Paris and, and I, I went back to London and, and and my wife said, "Hey, let's go. You've just been to Paris. Let's just go there and, and, and chill out for a couple of days." And we. We uh, got this nice little boutique hotel, and we just went out for a walk. And there's round the corner. Here's this jazz club, and who's playing in there? Uh, but you with some French musicians. And that, that was yeah. Like, that was in oh, I had a ball. And that's the last time I saw you until today. Uh, I, there was a club there that I played for many years called the Cavo de la Huchette. It was a right. dance club uh, near Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and uh, Danny Deriz was the owner of the place. He plays vibes like Lionel Hampton. Right. And I had such a ball playing for the dancers in, in Paris because mm-hmm. they really love to swing. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and they, they really uh, uh, enjoyed, you know, the, the grooves that we were playing, you know, see, I know what tempos the dancers can do their steps to. Mm-hmm. So if you gain their trust, then you're not an ugly American, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, they couldn't pronounce my name. Uh, they, they called me Doofy. Doofy, Doofy Jackson. Yeah, Monsieur Doofy. <laughs> Lovely. I said, oh, man, I don't know what to say. But, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I proposed 
to my wife, Marina, on the top of the Eiffel Tower. Okay. Now, she was holding me by my ankles over the edge. Which was the, edge. <laughs> the view from that angle is unbelievable, really. You should try it. Anyway, anyway so, uh, Manny, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you, man. You too. Thank you so much for your time, Duffy. I really, really appreciate it. And hey, look, let's maybe do a part two sometime. You know, there's plenty more to say, I'm sure. And anytime you want, man. Uh, I have a, I'm, I'm doing a book right now. The pandemic is forcing me to write my life story. Right. So, uh, so far, it's a covering book with a lot of pictures, but I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to write some stories in there too. You know what I mean? Amazing. You know, take care, put the grin on the groove, okay? And aim to beat at your feet and eat some Chinese food. Lovely. Right, man. Thank take you, care. Great, Thank you right. Great to see you, man. Much appreciated. Take care, Pete. Thank Pleasure. you very much, guys. See you. see you soon. Bye-bye.